It's Elise here, and I am giving you guys the first mini Halloween episode. So this is going to be all about ghost towns, and I'm focusing on British Columbia. Now, there are so many ghost towns, so I definitely didn't hit all of them, but I sort of picked out the ones that I thought were the coolest and had the neatest stories with them. So whether there are actual accounts of paranormal activity or not, I think the very idea of an abandoned town with the remnants of past lives and everything being untouched for so many years, it's so intriguing to so many people, whether they believe in paranormal or not. So I think that's why there's such a trend lately with abandoned towns and abandoned places. So in this episode, we're going to look at some different types of ghost towns. There are the abandoned ghost towns that are both accessible and inaccessible by the public. And there are also ghost towns that are open as public attractions. So that's kind of a different um, element to ghost towns. So the public attraction ones have the most sort of tangible stories because those ones are open to the public. There are people there on a daily basis so they can observe the activity and then report it. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit today, um, but I really hope you enjoy this episode. And don't forget, I will also be adding the locations of the ghost towns I talk about in the map tour tab on my website. And I also have included sort of a map of British Columbia, and I've put in some other really cool ghost towns. Some are attractions and some are just places you can visit on your own. Also keep in mind that, as I said, this is the first of the sort of special countdown to Halloween episodes. Um, Next week, Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be releasing part one and part two of my interview with Paul Bush from Cornerstone Supernatural Group. You can definitely follow them on Facebook. They're awesome. I think you guys, I hope at least you guys will be really excited to hear what he has to say. It's so interesting. And if you guys do like it, there's potential for them to continue doing this as sort of a series with me where we'll be going through different elements of paranormal research, the um, maybe even certain cases will break down. And we even talked about going through having an episode where it's all about different technologies they use and they don't use and why and how they work. So definitely stay tuned for that. It's really interesting. He's such a cool guy and really interesting to listen to. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. The first town I'm going to talk about is the town of Kitsalt. This one is pretty infamous. So if you live in BC, chances are you do know about Kitsalt or have at least heard about it. There have been articles and such about this town because it's like a trip back to the 1980s. It's crazy. It's so well preserved, it's almost unbelievable. The sad thing about this place is there's no way for the public to visit this ghost town. It's privately owned and private property. Security patrols the town and the perimeter, and I believe that it's also gated. Interestingly enough though, this is the exact reason why this ghost town is so awesome and it's so well preserved. So there are people like you and me who could go into a place like this look around, be respectful. And then there are others who sort of ruin it for everyone else who go into a place like this. They go into steal, they go into just destroy things just for fun. So maybe one day they'll open it up for guided tours, but that might just be my wishful thinking. Kitsalt started out in 1979 for workers who mined molybdenum 
yes, I looked it up, <laughs> which is often used to provide corrosion resistance and structure to steel. But just as life was getting started in this new town, the market for this substance crashed and the 1,200 residents abandoned it. So I haven't heard any ghost stories about this town, but I think just the pure image of a perfect town just waiting vacant in the middle of nowhere is so eerie. So back in 2005, the town was purchased for $7 million by an American entrepreneur. Since then, he's poured over $25 million into its upkeep, employing more than a dozen caretakers. His plan is to turn the town into a hub of the liquefied natural gas industry. So there have been a lot of ideas on how to put this town to use, but nothing has taken. It's 2019, and I haven't heard of any progress happening in the town yet. To give you an idea of what you would see if you were gained access to Kitsalt, number one, I have photos on the blog, and it's, it's so crazy. It's, it's amazing, so make sure you check that out. But the town is full of rows and rows of perfectly kept homes, many of which have never been lived in. A shopping center, restaurants, hospital, post office, bank, pub, theater, and there's even a fully stocked library and indoor community pool. Now, as someone who loves to read, I really want to get in there and rediscover some old books from my childhood. I think that would be awesome. Make sure you check out the blog, though. As I said, the photos are unreal. So the town's lights are always on, and though the sidewalks are beginning to wear along with the roads, the lawns and trees are neatly kept by the aforementioned maintenance workers. I think they should open up the town to film and TV productions. I think it'd be so cool. It would make such a great location. So we'll have to keep looking. Maybe they'll find a great use for the town, and one day you'll be able to visit. So the next place I'm going to talk about is so friggin' cool. So this is the ghost town of Ocean Falls. This one's a little bit different in the fact that it's not completely uninhabited. But from a town of once 3,000 people, there are about 25 to 40 people that live there now. And this number could be even less at this point. This town comes with an added challenge that there are no roads to the town. That's right, you can only get there by boat or air. The town started in the 20th century when pulp and paper workers saw a fantastic opportunity. A lake with a rolling river and ocean that would provide limitless electricity. So a mill town was built. For almost 70 years, the town grew and became quite the nice little family town. Former residents who grew up in Ocean Falls called it a huckleberry experience. Surrounded by mountains, lakes, rivers, and the ocean... Residents apparently referred to themselves as the rain people, and rightly so. It rains so often, which is not surprising. In a town such as this, with an interesting terrain, the townspeople walked everywhere and often uphill. People just seemed to be naturally fit, and out of this were born quite a few athletes that actually went on to win Olympic medals in swimming. Despite the wins by their swimmers, the town was becoming more and more financially troubled. The provincial government ended up purchasing the mill in 73 in hopes of helping out the town, but continued financial issues became a damning factor for Ocean Falls, and in 1980, the mill closed for good. The dam is still in operation, and there are stores and even an Ocean Falls museum, 
The fishing and local wildlife is supposedly just an incredible, incredible sight to see, just as cool as the town itself. So I'll post in the blog the information and links to the ferry info if you do want to visit the town. The photos of the abandoned buildings are really, really quite something to look at. With this town being so rainy, the foliage is incredible. The nature is reclaiming the buildings and the houses have carpets of moss that cover their roofs and unused stairs. Plants creep up the sides of buildings and inside cracks of walls. This would be a really cool place just to go and take photos. So for all of you photo bugs out there, this would be a really cool place to check out. The next town is not really a town, but more of a compound in a way. This place is known as Tranquil Sanatorium and consisted of 40 buildings, four hospitals, cottages for doctors and staff, a fire hall, laundry, farm buildings, dairy barn, nurses' buildings and halls. And all of these buildings were connected by an extensive tunnel system underneath. These would be used to transfer patients, food, supplies, and one area was even used as a morgue. This place reminds me a lot of Waverly Hills Sanitarium in the United States. And I'll include some information and some links to that place as well in the blog. It's a very active paranormal location, and I believe they actually do tours now as well. So back to Tranquil. This former self-sufficient community for the sick is located at the edge of Kamloops. The sanitarium opened in 1907 for people suffering from tuberculosis. It was originally named King Edward Memorial Sanatorium until 1921 when the province took over management and it was renamed Tranquil. It's also known by some locals as Padova, and if that rings a bell, let me know. (laughs) Before the sanatorium's decline in 1953 to 1958, Tranquil housed over 600 patients and staff. The occurrences of new tuberculosis cases declined, making the institution essentially obsolete. Tranquil was not finished yet, however. In 1959, it was reopened as a treatment place for the mentally ill. As with pretty much every sanatorium and mental hospital from these times, the stories are usually filled with rumors of cruel and unusual treatments. In its history, around 1,600 people died, and there was even a graveyard on site that was later moved to Kamloops. However, the poor and unclaimed patients were apparently buried in mass unmarked graves. So it's possible that there are still bodies there today. Supposedly, the most haunted area of Tranquil is B-Wing in the main hospital that includes the surgery rooms. The eighth floor was the pediatrics unit, where echoes of children crying can still be heard. And in fact, supposedly, this floor later housed Alzheimer's patients, and this was a common complaint from them, to hear children crying. Apparently, the apparition of a woman searching for her children is seen wandering around the sixth and eighth floors. The basement is home to an electrician who died while doing repair work, and is sometimes still seen down there. The tunnels, as you would imagine, are creepy on their own, but they also have a high number of paranormal stories attached to it. As I mentioned before, the tunnels were used to transport many things, including the dead. Stories of the tunnels include people being pushed, moans, and there's even a story of a nurse that was killed by a patient, and she now supposedly wanders the grounds and has been seen in the tunnels. Sensitive people have also reported an overwhelming sense of sadness. 
People also experience sudden cold spots, orbs of light, faint lights traveling slowly, and mist-like apparitions. Tranquil is now known as Tranquil Farm Fresh, a company that along with the city has a vision to redevelop the area into a sustainable neighborhood called Tranquil on the Lake. So I read the PDF of the development proposal and I don't know what to think about this. They want to use the land to create this whole little village, which is a neat idea, and they do talk a lot about preserving the history where possible, which is great. But personally, I feel like places like this that have just seen so much death and sadness and tragedy, much like Dead Man's Island in episode four, maybe just shouldn't be developed. Um, But that's just my opinion. Let me know if you agree. I'd actually really love to hear from some people in Kamloops to see what they kind of think about this. So if you want to see Tranquil before this development starts, then I would suggest you visit sooner rather than later. So they do offer a tunnel theater tour. It's a tour integrated with actors telling a fictional story. They also do an escape room in the actual tunnels called Escape from Padova. I believe they do offer also just straight up heritage tours as well. So check that out if you're interested in seeing the entire site. This next town is the Three Valley Gap Ghost Town and Resort Chateau. The location is so picturesque. Nestled between the waters of the Three Valley Lake and the Monashi Mountains sits a sprawling chateau and a heritage ghost town, made up of 25 rescued and restored heritage buildings, an auto museum, railway roundhouse, and much more. This town is owned and operated by the Bell family for over 50 years. Keep in mind if you visit the location, it is a tourist attraction. There are some staged scenes in the locations, mannequins and props and stuff like this. The buildings are real buildings though and have been brought in and restored and there are a lot of objects that are original to the time and even to some of the buildings in some cases. So you are getting the authenticity as well as touristy things. So I talked with Rosina Bell, who is lovely and awesome and she's so knowledgeable. Um, She's also the museum coordinator. She's the mind behind the displays and designs, and she oversees pretty much everything that you'll see there. She works all over the town as needed. The main thing that I got from Rosina is that you can tell she loves this place so much. She's truly lovely herself, and you can tell within minutes, actually seconds of talking to her, that she's very connected to this place. Once I finished talking to her, I had no doubt that the reason this place is so fantastic is in huge part to her calm and passionate energy. She said that one of the first paranormal teams to come could tell on their ghost hunting gadgets and gizmos that there were lots of energies around her, but when she gave them a boundary, the energies would not cross it. So this was pretty impressive to them. We talked a lot about the energy and respect that a person emanates and how it really affects what spirits do and how they act. And actually, this is a pretty common theme through a lot of these stories. And a lot of people that I talk to also agree with this concept. She talks about how she's never felt anything malevolent and just makes sure to open herself up to the energies. And if she needs space, she simply lets them know. One time she said she had a negative experience with a paranormal investigator who had come years back and said that she needed to clear the energy from the Bellevue Hotel. She was very strong and aggressive in her approach, telling the spirits to leave now. 
She ended up with three scratches on her as a result. Rosina believed that they didn't appreciate being told to leave, and she reiterates that she finds the energy in the town very calm as long as people are calm and respectful. So I mentioned the Bellevue Hotel. This is one of the most haunted locations in this town. The Bellevue is fully restored back to almost 100% of its original state with 99% of the furniture original to the hotel. Rosina said that during a tour of the hotel, a woman's cell phone started going haywire. She said freaky words began appearing on the screen, flashing and flipped upside down, and the woman was so scared she actually ended up leaving the entire town. Another man's cell phone was essentially ripped from his hand and smashed into a million pieces on the floor across the room. This next one is my favorite story from Three Valley Gap. This was the first tour she ever did in the Bellevue. It was for a man, a woman, and their young daughter. During the tour, the man's cell phone was in his pocket and got so hot that he took it out, turned it off, and put it back in his pocket. As the tour continued, he felt that heat again. He took the phone out and it was on. Confused, he turned it off again, thinking maybe he just, by accident, it didn't turn off all the way. He showed Rosina and said, okay, you see, I turned it off, right? She confirmed, yes, she saw him turn his phone completely off. He put it back in his pocket and they continued the tour. He felt the heat again and pulled the phone back out. Not only was it on, but it was recording. They listened to the recording and as Rosina put it, it sounded like a horror movie. Moaning and groaning was coming from the phone and she said it really creeped them out. Around this time, they noticed the young daughter was roaming around in another room on the floor. She started laughing and saying that someone was playing with her hair. In the Bellevue, she told me of objects moving on numerous occasions. During another tour, a doctor's bag was tossed across the hallway in front of a guest. Other common things that are experienced by guests are that they're touched, they feel lightheaded or ill, they feel like their legs are weak, or they just generally have a sense that someone is there. She also said that a situation she sees many times is with children. So we've talked about children before and how they're commonly believed to be more susceptible to paranormal activity. She said that often children will become upset, scared, and break down crying. Her advice to parents is to listen to your children. What they're feeling is real, and there's a lot of energy at Three Valley Gap. Some kids just can't handle it. The next place she talked about is the roundhouse. Steam locomotives were designed to go forward, not backwards. So in order to turn these huge locomotives, a large turntable was designed and installed in the roundhouse to turn locomotives and get them to where they needed to go. The turntable has a motor underneath and needs a forklift to start the turn. Rosina has experienced the turntable turning on on its own on numerous occasions, usually when she's alone and turning out the lights at the end of the night. One night when her grandson was with her, the turntable began to move and he said, why is that moving? And she said, um, I just need to talk to someone to stop it. And she said, you don't need to do that. I know you're here. And it hasn't moved on its own since. Rosina has a plethora of stories and experiences, so if you ever go to Three Valley Gap and meet her, I highly recommend chatting with her if she isn't busy, of course. She leaves us with a little message to potential visitors, and I quote, Be aware that you will see orbs. They're very distinct. Or you'll have a chill or smell something sweet or sour with no reason why. 
You may be touched or have the sensation that you're not alone. And if you bring children with you, there's usually always an increase in activity. So thank you so much to Rosina for the information. And I will, of course, give you everything you'll need if you want to visit this location yourself. Now we'll be traveling to the ghost town of Sandin. It's located in an area known as the Valley of the Ghosts. Sandin was once a wild, wild place to live, where gambling and prostitution dominated town life. Apparently, the chief of police also ran a brothel and dealt at the casino. So there was an everything-goes kind of lifestyle. At one point, there were 28 saloons, 29 hotels, two theaters, three churches, a number of breweries and sawmills, two newspapers, a schoolhouse, hospital, a bowling alley, railways, and a huge, huge red light district. (laughs) At its peak, over 5,000 people lived in Sandin, with over 2,000 miners working above the town. On top of this, there were 300 more miners in a 30-mile radius and trains coming and going every night. On a weekend, there could be 10,000 people in the town. So this was a really lucrative town for a number of years. I found some numbers that said $35 billion in present day value, which is more profitable than California, Yukon, and BC gold rushes combined. There's even a legend that a local historian believes there are about 10,000 coins lying in the creek bed of Carpenter Creek under a mere three feet of water. The Sandin today, of course, currently houses a few remaining buildings, a restored brothel, city hall, which is now a museum, the fire station, a graveyard, and the odd shed or small cabin. Another large draw to this ghost town is the trolley graveyard. When many buses were being decommissioned in Vancouver, eight of them found their way to Sandin where they remain today. So it's kind of a cool little unexpected thing to see, but it's a cool little attraction. That brings me to the end of the episode, so I hope you enjoyed this little mini episode. Please make sure that you check out the blog. The photos of these towns are crazy. You can find the blog at realscarypodcast.ca under the heading episode. If you have your own story from any of these locations or one that I haven't talked about, please feel free to contact me at realscarypodcast at gmail.com. This is the beginning of my countdown to Halloween, so I have four more episodes, and then on Halloween... I will be premiering the first episode in the Alberta series. So I hope you will listen in next week for a two-part interview with Paul Bush of Cornerstone Supernatural. In the meantime, follow them on Facebook. You can find them under Cornerstone Supernatural Group. They're always willing to answer any questions. It's a really friendly environment over there. So until next time, this is your friendly neighborhood host, Elise.